0: We're in First Timothy chapter three this morning, First Timothy chapter three, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse number eight and following. And uh, First Timothy chapter three, verse number eight and following today is where our home text or where we're going to get to eventually, in just a minute. Uh, uh, just talking about the deacon ministry, uh, and our church body, I'm thankful to God for our church family, our church body. And uh, the next couple of weeks we're we are looking at our deacon ministry and, and just prayerfully considering who might uh, God be working on their hearts to serve in this area of ministry. And so uh, uh, the deacon ministry is where we'll be this morning. Next week we'll be talking about uh, the pastor, pastoral ministry. Uh, not because we're looking for a new pastor, uh, but because uh, we just want to cover these issues in the life of a church. What does God's Word say about these areas of ministry? And so we're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter three, verses number eight and following, just talking qualifications. We'll go to Acts six if you wanna go over there. We'll be flipping between the two as we move forward this morning. But when I think about the church body, and uh, I'm so grateful to God, one of the greatest honors and privileges uh, in my life is is just serving uh, as pastor and as pastor of this church. I thank God for our body. Uh, Just uh, what a blessing it has been and uh, but when you're thinking about the church a church is an interesting place very interesting uh, uh it's the body of Christ it's the family and when you talk about the diversity that makes up a church body it's a crazy place when you think about it you got people of all ages you got people of all nationalities you got every economic background and and and, and we gather together and 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 Jesus Christ brings us and unites us uh, by his spirit and 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 in his word and i'm grateful to god for that. Uh, But sometimes it's very challenging because of the diversity that does exist because we all come from different places and we are all individuals and we all have our preferences and we all have our ideas and we all have our opinions. It's always interesting to me because you'll have people that will come and and say, you know, man, we just love the church. We love this church, you know, and God brought us to this place so excited. And and, and within a couple of weeks, it's like, well, you know, we used to do this at my old church and I think we ought to implement it here. And uh, it's kind of like those folks that moved to Florida from New York City. But anyways, uh, (laughs) y'all all all right? So this morning, just talking about the two offices. In, in the Bible, you know, the Bible does give us uh, uh, so much uh, clarity and direction, biblically speaking. But in the Bible, in the New Testament, really the church is only given two offices. It's given the office of pastor and the office of deacons. And it, and it is troubling to me when you look at the church landscape today and you see the makeup of churches because, because there are many churches that are abandoning both of those positions. Uh, we don't want any pastors uh, uh, overse- overseeing and directing and uh, directing. And then, and then you have others that are saying, we don't want any deacons. And, and there's reason for those things. A lot of times it's because of abuses uh, that have taken place in the past. And so just because there's been abuses in the past doesn't mean that you throw something out. It doesn't mean that we say, well, that just doesn't pertain to us Anymore, but rather you say, "Well, how do we get this right? How do we fix this?" And and so I've got, in fact, I've got fellows that uh, that have said, "You know, deacon ministry really is one of those things. They don't see one of three things happens along the way. Either we don't see the need. You know, I just don't see the need. You know, we can take care of things ourselves, and uh, and and don't see the need. Number two is is because of some." Uh, 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 qualification issues that they don't really want to touch in this day. Uh, uh, And so therefore, it's a lot easier just to do away with it. Uh, And then number three, when you're talking about deacon ministry, they've been abused in the past. And so sometimes a deacon ministry, if you're not careful in a church, can become a a deacon board rather than a deacon body. A deacon board meaning an oversight board. and, And that's not what God calls. In fact, by definition, the very word diakonos, servant, And that's what this position is all about. Those that say, we're gonna roll up our sleeves and we're gonna come alongside of our elders and our pastors and and we're gonna be extensions in ministry and we're just gonna serve people along the way. And so God help us to uh, 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 just be faithful in these different areas of ministry. And and before I get into this text of scripture, uh, uh, one of the, just so many different blessings over the years Couple of couple of years in my life, I was in seminary, and I preached and traveled a lot of churches, and spent a lot of time in churches over several days. And a lot of time, what I tried to do is glean as much information as I could from pastors and from churches, and studying church for two years. That's what I did, and uh, and it's interesting. Uh, uh, because it's, it's interesting, but yet also troubling. Because how many times have I heard where there's conflict and there's contention over these areas of ministry, and it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, I can just tell you, I, am, I, I really do. You know, a lot of times we have these jokes, you know, and you throw these jokes out there about the deacons. But I, I, and all, before God Almighty, I, I have the incredible privilege of having the opportunity to serve alongside of some wonderful, wonderful men of God, and I'm grateful that. So so when you're talking about deacon ministry, let me back up and I'm going to read, it should be on the overhead from Acts 6, 1 through 4, and just talk about the instigation because there's not a whole lot in scripture about about what are they supposed to do. We do have qualifications that are clear. We're going to get to those in just a minute. Uh, but, but, But what in the world, what happened, how is it that this has taken place in the life of the church? And so Acts chapter 6, The Bible talks about in verse number one and following. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing or multiplying in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12, talking about the apostles, so the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among yourselves uh, among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and then it goes on from there but just talking about the instigation uh, of of the deacon ministry and we can pick that up right here in this passage of scripture when you're talking about uh, 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 in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is a transitional book. And so most theolo- theologians would agree uh, that this is an instigation of the deacon ministry, although it's not called that, uh, uh, what was happening in the, in the life of the church. They were experiencing growing pains and the apostles said, we just can't handle all the work Uh, uh, that, that there is on the plate when you're talking about all the family ministry and all the ministries that are taking place It won't happen without help. And so they said we we, we've got to make sure we prioritize what we do It's got nothing to do. It's got nothing to do uh, Uh, uh with position in other words if you ever feel like i've got a position where i'm above serving You're in a bad position you know, in other words, in other words, it's the, the apostles did not not serve. They didn't, they weren't people that did not serve. They were just people that understood there are our priorities in life. And if we can employ, if we can have others that come alongside of us as direct extensions of our ministry, then we can deal with issues. And what the church was experiencing was legitimate issues. Uh, they were experiencing what we would call growing pains. Do you know, you, you do experience growing pains if you're part of a growing church, Uh, What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. And when when a church is running 60 people on a Sunday morning and and, and, and you have 60 people, it's as if everybody uh, and everybody is serving on every committee possible in the life of the church family. I mean, we've had days like that in our church body where everybody served on every committee. And then as the church grows, what happens is all of a sudden, and, and here's what it looks like. Man, pastor, I'm serving on every committee. I got meetings every, every night of the week because I'm serving on every committee. And, and it's just too much. It's just too much. And then the church grows. And as the church grows, all of a sudden, uh, you find yourself not even being included on one of the specific committees in the life of the church. And then it's like, well, dad, yeah, I'm a preacher. I don't have a chance to serve on any committee in the church. And, uh, and, and it's like, well, where do you find that happy medium? We have a complaint over there and a complaint over there. It's called growing pains, And a lot of times what happens is if we're not careful is we have to be able to enable the church to grow and understand that for the church to grow effectively, then we have to practice what the Bible teaches. And that would be that that, that there are people in the life of the church that God calls out as deacons and they're very much directly involved in every area of ministry. Sometimes churches won't allow a a church to function practically or biblically. In other words, if the preacher don't come, then nobody's visited me. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, it might be that the deacon came, but you gotta embrace that and recognize that's a direct extension from the pastor. Now that's not to say, here's the problem. What's the problem? Here's the problem. The problem is sometimes preachers, sometimes preachers abuse it because I just have, I, I need time for my tea times instead of visiting people. In other words, there's some sorriness that will creep in if you're not careful. But having said that, there's also the reality that it's impossible, it's impossible for the preacher always to be there for everybody, or one of the the pastors in the church always to be there for everybody, it's impossible. And so we have deacon ministry. I'm grateful to God for deacon ministry that come alongside and understand uh, uh, what they're called to do and who they're called to be a a part of. And so God help us. Again, there was a legitimate problem. They saw the problem. They said, man, here's the problem. There's two groups of people, this specific problem that instigated uh, uh, the ministry. Uh, There were two groups of of Jewish people. In fact, the Bible says there were Hellenistic Jews and native Hebrews. And those would be people that were Dispersed, The Hellenistic Jews were dispersed, learned different language, came back to town, and, uh, and they felt like men were being gypped, and they were being gypped. There was a legitimate issue, and they took care of the issue. And so God uh, uh, blessed the church incredibly. God help us. They said, we need to make sure we are busy about preaching and praying those were the apostles to which i would say we no longer have apostles in the church today again transitional book the book of acts we don't have apostles anymore if you ever go to a church where they say well the apostle i would say he ain't old enough to be an apostle not biblically uh, an apostle had to be one that was there with Jesus Christ, saw Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. We don't have apostles today. We have pastors today. And, and, and the greatest task, the greatest priority that God places on the life of a pastor is that of preaching and praying. And you better be equipped to preach and to pray. And sometimes just not because of the weight of everything else going on. If you don't prioritize your ministry, you can get bogged down in the weeds, such that you're never ready to come and preach God's word. And so God help us to be able to practice biblically uh, the way that God intends for us to practice, and so he gives these deacons. And so what are the, quali- we have the instigation, but then what does it look like? What are the qualifications for deacon ministry? And that's what 1 Timothy chapter number three is all about. 1 Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse number eight. Deacons, likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and of their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so talking about the qualifications for deacon ministry. Uh, He's saying, hey, listen, when when you're considering deacons in the life of a church, make sure you're prayerfully seeking and looking at virtue rather than what you see on the outside. Make sure you're saying, hey, is this a man of virtue? Can he serve in this capacity? And uh, and when you're talking about Samuel, back in 1 Samuel chapter number 16 and verse number seven, 1 Samuel 16, verse number seven, the Bible says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature uh, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God help us examine a man. And so he says, first of all, They must be men of dignity. What do you mean man of dignity? Verse number eight. He goes down this list of qualifications. Man of dignity. It means serious. It means stately. When you're talking about a man that's serious and stately, it doesn't mean that he walks in on a high and holy horse and he's just a stick in the mud and never laughs. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about men who understand the weight of the position. Men who understand what the unity of the church is all about. Not everybody understands unity in the body. Not everybody understands that my words matter. He says, make sure you're, if you're, if you're gonna prayerfully select a man to serve in a position of deacon, make sure they are men of dignity, men of stateliness, men who take seriously what they are all about. And so he says, make sure again, that you're not getting someone that's very flippant uh, uh, with this position. When you're talking about the position of deacon, the position of deacon, do you know that it's impossible to serve? It's impossible to serve as a deacon in absentia. What do you mean by that? What I mean is if I'm serving in the capacity of deacon, I need to understand the weight of the church and what's happening. I can't do that. I cannot fulfill my God-given calling in my life as a deacon and be out of town every other week. I can't do it. And so it's just recognizing, again, that these people have to be people that understand the weight of the calling. All of us need to understand the weight of our calling. By the way, I would say that, man, all of us need to take home uh, a word from God because he's just saying, hey, make sure you're being faithful. Make sure you're calling faithful people. 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles 28. David gave advice to Solomon, and this is what he said. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number nine. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will, uh, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And he's just saying, hey, make sure, again, verse number eight, men of dignity, number one, not double-tongued, not double Tongued, the second one, when you're talking about not double tongued. In other words, what do you mean by not double tongued? It means that you can depend on what they say. If they tell you something to your face, they're not going to go somewhere else and say something different from behind closed doors. You say, Why, why do you say that? Because sometimes that happens. When you entrust a man, what you do in examining a man is you you entrust him with responsibilities along the way. And if they abuse those responsibilities along the way, they're not worthy of serving in this specific position in the life of the church. Man, a man that can't be double-tongued, you gotta be able to depend on what they say. What they say is true. I mean, if he's a direct extension of me, I wanna know that whenever I'm speaking and whenever I have an opportunity to speak to them and they have an opportunity to speak to me, I need to know as a shepherd before God Almighty that what they're telling me is facts. Not double-tongued. And you need to be able to count on them. When they're coming as an extension of of my area of ministry, I want you to be able to know that, man, whatever you say is facts. Not double-tongued. I can count on you. A double-tongued man damages the body and creates much disunity in the body. He's a man that's not given to much wine, he says in verse number eight. Not given to much wine. Why not, why not just total abstinence? Well, because wine was a very common beverage back in the day, very much watered down. It wasn't what we would call today our wines. Our wines today would be considered, biblically speaking, strong drink. And when you're talking about strong drink, everywhere in the Bible that strong drink is mentioned, it is, it is suggested that it is to be Forbidden, And so I would say that our deacon body here at this church, our deacon body, is a body that embraces total abstinence. Why? Because I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. I think that when you're talking about men, when you're talking about men, how many times do people justify their actions based on the actions of others? In other words, I would never, I would never want... I would never want a young person to justify consuming alcohol because the preacher did it. I came to his house and he had wine on the shelf, must not be a big deal, and causes a little one to stumble. I wouldn't want my children. Listen, I wouldn't want my children. You say, why, why are you the weight of influence? I don't want one of my children to stumble and to be able to say, well, I do what I do because my dad does what he did. I mean, when you're talking about people that struggle with alcohol, it begins one drink. What if the one drink that led them down the road to alcoholism was justified by your partaking? Take seriously the weight of responsibility, the position. Not given to much wine. In that day, there was definitely the medicinal Value as well, 1 Timothy, chapter number five. Uh, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. See there, preacher, they drank it. Well, that was before Pepto-Bismol. Oh, help us. Not fond of sordid gain. Verse number eight still. Not fond of sordid gain. Uh, Again, deacons handling offerings uh, uh, and and having the privilege and opportunity to be able to then take care of widows uh, and and people that are in much need. Again, it's just saying, hey, to be able to fulfill that position, you need to have someone that has a heart that's very generous. Now again, in our body, in our body, uh, the way we function is we have committees. We do have uh, financial committees. We have a finance committee. We have, we have counting committee uh, that receives offerings and take the offerings directly. Uh, so we have safeguards. Why do you have those things in place? Because we want safeguards in the life of our church when it comes to finances. And so our, our deacon body is not very much directly involved in that area of ministry, but if there's a need, we know that our deacons will know what the need is. They need to not be given to sordid Gain uh, to look at a position, to be able to use a position for financial advancement in any way, shape, or form. They need to not be fond of sordid gain. Verse number nine, they need to be doctrinally sound, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith, just talking about scripture, talking about that which was once concealed is now revealed in the New Testament. And so we're talking about the New Testament, we're talking about the church, we're talking about a place where Jews and Gentiles alike come together equally, that men and women come together equally. That which was once again concealed is now revealed. Say, make sure that you have a group of men who are doctrinally sound. Their behavior matches their belief. That's how we do it with a clear conscience. You don't want deacons who say, I know what the Bible says, but. You want want men who understand what scripture says and says, that is God's word, therefore I stand on his truths. What does that do for the life of the church? What that does for the life of the church is this. Everybody everybody wants to be a part of a church where the preacher preaches well, I shouldn't even say that because sometimes we don't want that anymore But we want to, We want the preacher to preach the word As a pastor I Will preach the word come what may come what may But it is really really comforting to know that I have a group of deacons that say hey I'm with you 100%. We believe in preaching and in practicing. Why is that important? Because not everybody wants to be a part of a church that's practicing the word. You can preach it, but my daughter wants to marry that boy who's not a Christian, and you need to do the service. Y'all all right? It's good to have deacons who are doctrinally sound that you can say, hey, let's take these issues back to God's word and see what the word says and that's where we'll stand because that strengthens the life of a church. And that's what he's saying. He's saying make sure sure your deacons know what they believe. And I can tell you, man, I'm grateful to God. Have a group of deacons, know what they believe. Verse number 10, these men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. In other words, when you're talking about tested and proved, make sure they're tested and proved. What do you mean tested? That means just watch what they do. If they're not diakonosing before they're called, then don't call them. If they're not serving, if they're not serving, when you're talking about a deacon, when you're talking about prayerfully seeking a man to serve in this capacity in the life of a church body, if they're not already serving, you don't say, well, they got great potential. In fact, maybe if we call them, they'll show up for church more often. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But can I tell you that's oftentimes suggested? They're a great man. They just don't show. Well, if they don't show, I can't use them. I can't count on them. It's not based on the potential. It's not based on popularity. A lot of times we look at somebody on the outside and they got it all together. Well, examine them, examine them. People say, you judging them? Yeah, because God said so. Y'all okay? (laughs) It says, godly homes, godly homes, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Women, women, diaconesses must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And then it goes on into verse number twelve. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. And so this is this is where it causes some questions to come into uh, the deacons and who serves as deacons. And so the word uh, literally means. Women deacon or deacon's wife? Uh, and, and, and that's been the question that's always been asked. Is this talking about women deacon? Uh, in other words, a, 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 a same office, but yet for women? Or would it be pertaining to uh, deacon's wives? And, and, and that's the question. And, and so I would encourage you uh, uh, just to, again, search the scriptures <clears throat> and the weight of that. What does that mean? That means that one day before God Almighty, you stand before him and say, this is where I stand. This is why I stand where I stand. For me personally, and for our church body, where we stand is that we're talking about deacons' wives. Why deacons' wives? Well, there's a couple of reasons why when you're looking at Scripture. Number one would be just one of the practical reasons when you're talking about listing out qualifications for a position. Uh, They're similar, but yet very different. Uh, And so when you're talking about listing qualifications for a position, if you had a unisex position, Then why would you include, here's for the women and here's for the men, but rather, hey, we have a board of trustees at the bank. We have a board of trustees down at the school. Therefore, here's our our list of qualifications for these positions. Uh, You would be a unisex. Here's just the list of qualifications, number one. Number two, if you're looking at Acts chapter number six, it says men and it leaves it again with men, but also number three when you're looking practically, when you're looking practically at the position and what we do in deacon ministry, practically at the position, what we do in deacon ministry, my wife completes me. I mean, if you are married, I, I hope that you can say, my wife completes my ministry, my service. As a deacon, you're called on primarily for family ministry, family ministry. It's impossible for a man alone to be able to serve in that capacity without a woman coming alongside. What if there's a woman that has struggles? Praise God for a godly wife. how, how, How can a woman by herself serve in that capacity without a husband alongside? If I'm serving a family, if I'm coming to a family that's in need, man, things are struggling in the home, and I come to those families in need, then practically speaking, praise God for the diakonos and the diakonos' spouse. (laughs) And so I would say their wives play very much a part of the ministry. And so when you're talking about calling a deacon in our church body, when you're calling a deacon, we say make sure you consider his wife as well because it's it's, it's a two-for-one package. Now when you're talking about his wife, he says make sure they're dignified He gives a list of some qualifications talking about the deacon's wife. Make sure that she's dignified. What do you mean by that? Make sure she takes seriously the responsibility and the calling of what it is that she's saying, I will support and be a part of this area of ministry. Not malicious gossips. Why not? Because in that position, you hear things about people. Oftentimes, unfortunately, what you're hearing is the folks that are struggling along the way. You're entrusted with great information. So make sure I can guard my tongue, not a malicious gossip. Make sure they're temperate. What do you mean by that, temperate? Not emotionally driven and fly off the handle easily. Because sometimes things happen and things are said that cut deep and you get ticked off and it's easy to fly off the handle. Just make sure that she's a woman who is very temperate and faithful in all things faithful in all things and then he continues his qualifications deacons must be still in the home still in the home deacons must be husbands of only one wife what does that mean? that means a one woman man a faithful husband a one woman man What, what does that look like? And this is again this is another area that that's a difficult one because it doesn't say not a divorce man it says a one woman man well, what exactly do, are we talking about there is it possible is it possible for a man to serve in the position of deacon and actually have been divorced to which I would say well if there's a biblical divorce involved then I don't know why a man would be disqualified from the position biblical divorce when you're talking about marriage marriage is something that God takes very 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 seriously the covenant of Marriage, But there are three instances in which he permits He permits Remarriage One of them would be the death of a spouse So if you're taking this and saying Well his wife died But they're married And we take literally we would say Well then that man must be disqualified from serving as a deacon Because he has a second wife To which I would say no No that didn't disqualify him He's free to remarry if you're talking about a man who was very much faithful in his marriage, very much faithful in his marriage. I'm not saying a divorce doesn't matter. I think you need to examine the evidence. And part of the problem that we have is we don't want to judge anything, but yet God says to judge. 1 Corinthians chapter number five, read that whole chapter. I'm not saying judge for the point of condemnation, but I'm saying examine, to examine <clears throat> a divorce and a remarriage. The Bible says that if a man has been married, he's been faithful in his marriage and his wife just said, I'm out. Dear friends, a couple months into marriage, I'm out. And goes into an adulterous affair. Can the man remarry and then serve as a deacon? To which I would say, well, he's had a biblical reason for remarriage or an unsaved spouse. Maybe you got saved afterwards. And again, you have to examine all of the evidence. Well, did a saved man marry an unsaved woman? Because I would say that matters. Examine it. It's not a one size fits all. We're talking about each individual case. If a man is, 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 is not, mar- not saved and he marries a woman that's not saved and along the way, man, he gets saved and she never got saved and she says, man, I don't want to be married to a Christian man anymore and she files for divorce and leaves him but he's been faithful to her in marriage, then, then, then biblically he has the opportunity. That's only three cases that, that the Bible says you have opportunity for remarriage. And so would you say that there can be qualified to which I would say, yeah, but make sure that he's been very much faithful in his marriage. It does matter, it does matter, but there's not a litmus test, one size fits all. That's what you gotta be careful of because it's very easy to say, well, that man's just a failure, therefore he's disqualified, to which I'd say, well, examine that man. Examine that man. Again, there's a lot of reason. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, it does matter, but make sure you examine what's happening in his life and good managers of the children and of their own households. In other words, their kids aren't out of control little children running around the church. Because they're always at the church. (laughs) Disciplining and managing his household. A lot of times they say, Man, I they need to have perfect kids. Well no nobody has perfect kids. But are you disciplining them? Are you training them up? How's that going in the household? Make sure you examine How they're managing their home. Why why does it matter how do they examine, how do they uh, live life in a home? Because we're a family. Because this is a family. How do you deal with brothers and sisters? How do you deal with family issues? How do you deal with them in home matters? And so you examine the home life. How are you dealing with these issues in your home? And then it goes on to talk about culmination of the ministry for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> just saying, hey, make sure you're faithfully serving along the way. And by the way, faithfully serving as a deacon just simply means, man, I want to be hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, serving His bride. That's what it means. And so, First Peter says it like this, chapter five, and verse number six: Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. If you're looking for a position to be exalted in, (laughs) then it's the wrong position. That's not what the Scripture's saying. The Scripture's saying, make sure you're serving well. You just keep your heart before God clean and serve with clear conscience. And at the end of the day, He'll exalt you. He'll exalt you. And people will respect you. God, help us to be faithful in this area of ministry. Nothing greater than serving the bride of Christ. And uh, the, again, our church body, uh, our connection groups have an opportunity to submit names. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging our church body to just go back, search the scriptures, prayerfully consider who you might say, man, I believe that this person right here uh, ought to be serving in this position in this church family. It's a very, very serious calling. And so God, help us along the way. Uh, This morning talking about deacon ministry, but I'm grateful to God to be a part of a family. Uh, Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and uh, this morning just want to encourage you, I always want to encourage people, if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, call on his name, because that's what's most important. Are you saved? Are you part of the body? Are you part of the family? And this morning, I just want you to know that God loves you. God loves you. He came, he laid down his life for you, and... um, he conquered death in the grave, he's alive. And if you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you to call on his name. We're gonna be partaking of the Lord's Supper and uh, this morning. And what the Lord's Supper is all about, it's for, for believers, it's for believers to remember what Jesus Christ has done, to reflect on what Jesus Christ has done, number one. Number two, to examine my heart. It's not about examining other people's hearts right now, but it's saying, God, examine my heart and making sure that I've got fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ today. Examine my heart, number two. Number three, we look forward to his coming. We're gonna do this until the day we see him face to face. What a day that's gonna be. I'm grateful to God for that. The Bible says, over in the book of Corinthians, just read a few verses of scripture. For I see, receive from the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And so I just want to encourage you right now. Would you do me a favor and join me? Just bowing your heads, closing your eyes, and inviting the Holy Spirit of God just to examine, to search your heart, search us, God, this morning. As we do, I'm asking our deacons to come forward. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this opportunity that we have as a body, as your bride, to be able to get together and uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. And God, I pray as we do that you would search our hearts right now. God, please search our hearts by your spirit. Father, I pray for each one of us God, I'm thankful for your grace and for your mercy and I pray, God, today that we would not take your grace toward us for granted but that, God, as we search and as you reveal, God, that we would confess our sin before you because, God, we know today that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So thank you. Thank you for this moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.